Again, if you would go ahead and silence your phones at this time, appreciate it. Now, we have been uh, focusing on world areas, world areas in which the Church of the Nazarene has been very much since the inception of the Church of the Nazarenes in 1908 active in. Uh, The story goes, and it continues to repeat in every single world region that we talk about, uh, is that back around 1908, um, there was all these different types of churches that had missionaries around the world. They didn't know either, uh, each of them, basically, but when they're sending churches, uh, mostly uh, located back in the United States, uh, gathered together and joined together uh, to form the Church of the Nazarene, they sent word, I assume by a telegraph or maybe letter, hey, guess what? You're now part of the Church of the Nazarene. To which the missionaries responded, great. And they continued on with the missionary work, whatever they were doing. And so from the very beginning of the Church of the Nazarene, uh, there has been missionaries all across the world. Now, some world area regions have been reached earlier and some later. Um, We'll learn a little bit about that today. We've been through a lot of them. Uh, Today, we're actually going to look at South America. And next week, we'll look at Mesoamerica as the plan. But South America... Uh, is an interesting location. And uh, before we get into that area in that region, you have kind of that pieced out in front of you in your bulletin. I want to talk a little bit about something that we all, we enjoy maybe, uh, perhaps you drink it on a regular basis. It's called water. But water has other locations and forms, right? Sometimes the water's in a bottle. Sometimes it's in your faucet. Sometimes it's in a river or a lake. It's powerful. It's dangerous. It's life-giving. And as we talked a few weeks ago, many missionary works actually start off with providing basic needs for the people they're wanting to minister to, one of which is to provide clean drinking water to those folks. See, water can refresh you if you drink it. It can shock you awake if you are splashed with it. Never tried that to wake up the kids, I don't think, anyway. <laughs> and, unfortunately, it can kill you if you get it into your lungs. Water can be a pathway to transport between distances, an opportunity to test our strength, and even a way for us to retreat, to get away from it all. Today, we're going to look at some passages in the New Testament concerning Jesus, his disciples, and traveling in a boat. But before we look at these, let's learn a bit about South American, the South American region. Uh, it's made up of these particular four different sections of the continent. It's the entire continent, in fact. North Andean, which involves Colombia, Venezuela, and Ecuador. Central Andean, which includes Bolivia and Peru. You can see it right there. Peru seems to be the longest or the oldest one of the entire continent. The southern cone is that, lot, that bottom part, and we do have a map at the back when you, when you head out today, you can see that. Um, Argentina, Chile, uh, Paraguay, and Uruguay uh, are all part of that southern cone region. And then the subregion of Brazil, it's kind of interesting that Brazil is such a large chunk of the continent. It's got its own substructure in which, yeah, it's part of the South American region, but it also is its own region in and of itself with Sub, subgroupings. And I know that all this bureaucracy, we kind of talked about it a few weeks ago. 
it's, it's, it's kind of like blah, 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 blah. Why do we have these people? Well, it's to facilitate ministry. That's basically it. It's not to uh, do anything else but to facilitate ministry in those world regions. And so it's just a structure. It's a tool that the Church of the Nazarene uses in order to reach the world. And so Brazil is a huge section uh, of that continent. Now, as you see, we've got these varying start dates of the country. But again, the cool thing about this particular area is that the whole continent is covered. With the exception of three countries uh, that are at the very tippy top, but they're also part of a Nazarene world region. In fact, uh, the, most of Brazil, like they're all divided into like, most of the times it's divided into what language they speak or um, their environment. So their, their geographic location and then also like their uh, native tongue, if you will, is how they help divide these mission areas in these um, world regions. And so um, most of Brazil speaks Portuguese, uh, Guyana, Sur- Suriname, and Guyana Francesca, which is those three countries at the very top. They actually are more in line with English, Dutch, and French-speaking Caribbean countries. And so it seems that Peru was the oldest mission field for the work of the Church of the Nazarene. And as works developed there on their continent, or in Peru itself, new ones sprung up in neighboring countries until we have a whole continent blanketed with the presence of Christian holiness teaching. Now, what's all this have to do with boats, you might be thinking? Well, one of the things that I pulled out of the uh, prayer guide, uh, just a few weeks ago, we had the World Day of Prayer. The Nazarene Church uh, partnered with that and did a global week of prayer. And each day of the week, from Sunday all the way to Saturday, we were to pray for seven different touch points, uh, six different world areas, and the first one would be the global Church of Nazarene's leadership. And, and so each one of these sections was covered in prayer throughout that week. And so that was the inspiration for the series that we're doing right now. But in that, they talked about their praises, the things that God has been doing in their world region, things that we wouldn't have heard otherwise. Uh, prayer requests as well, and then different, uh, different types of challenges that they're, they're dealing with and how we can join in, in ministry with them. One of the cool things that they start off with is there, there's a, a stretch of a river that goes through Peru. It's a very long one, and it, it goes east to west, and then it, it kind of jerts out south a little bit here and there. And that whole river system was like a naturally made boat highway. I mean, that most rivers are, right? Uh, but, but last year, five boats were built in order to optimize missionary and evangelistic work, planning new works and strengthening the churches of the Loreto district. And, and again, that was from the, the prayer guide that we had and still have a copy if you'd like one um, at the end of today's service. And I want you to think about boats for a moment. When was the last time you were out on the water on a boat? Think about it. It was most likely, I would say, was most likely for recreational purposes, right? I can remember taking some kids out on a pontoon boat when we lived in Texas, 
And it was just to, to putter around on a, on a lake, and it was one of the church members that had that, and we got to see stuff. When we went on a, on a trip in Texas, we got to go out on a, on a type of pontoon boat and do dolphin watching. That was really cool. We were excited about that. I don't remember if our family's been on a boat since then, really, and that's a number of years ago. When was the last time you were on a boat? Again, a lot of times we use boats in our day life just for recreation, fishing, sightseeing, just boating for boating's sake. Maybe, however, you used one to transport you to the other side of something, a lake or a river. Mainly, we don't use boats all that much to get around. We have cars for that, right? But in South America, boats are very helpful in facilitating travel. Getting between ministry locations or between remotely located homes and ministry locations could have been so much harder if it weren't for those boats that were built for this purpose. Uh, Of course, they do have roads there, but rivers give them a better access to cities and villages that are along the waterways. Uh, There are many ministries going on in South America, but today, again, I want to take inspiration for our theme today from this wonderful boat-based opportunity the people have there in Peru. Uh, let's go ahead and start by reading from God's word in Matthew chapter 8, starting at verse 18. Matthew eight eighteen. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. And then verse 23 kind of jumps into the next story, but we'll read that anyway. It says, and then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. In this passage, Jesus gives the order, the direction to the disciples to push off on the boats. Guys, get the boat ready. We're going to go. Okay, let's get going. Maybe you've had a similar experience to what Jesus experiences here. You feel like it's time to leave a place, whether you're visiting friends or family. Perhaps you're at a group or business meeting. Either way, it's time to shove off. It's getting late here. We need to get going. But yet, something keeps coming up. It keeps trying to keep you in that place, to nail you down. Now, I could do this to myself, honestly. I'll, uh, I'll be at work and I'll notice a few more things. And I'll just say, oh, I'll take care of that real quick. That won't be, that won't be a problem. And suddenly, it's a half an hour to an hour later past when I should have been heading home. Many times, it is the idea, however, of helping someone that holds me back from moving on. That's what we saw here, you know, getting new disciples, helping other people. And Jesus is like, nah, it's time to go. So perhaps you can relate. Jesus said the word, let's go. And that was when the requests, the demands poured in. A teacher of the law proclaims his allegiance to Jesus. I'm, I'm on your team, Jesus. And Jesus responds to the man with a gut check. If you're following me to my home, you're going to be sorely disappointed. Other creatures have places of refuge, but not me. 
This idea made me stop and think. Of course, he didn't have a place to hide out and to call his own. He was the place of refuge. Jesus was the place of refuge. Someone else tried to see if there was a wiggle room, any wiggle room, with this whole following Jesus kind of thing. And he quickly learned that it's an all or nothing right now kind of commitment. Jesus asks him to go bear, or he asks to go bury his father first. And it's this idea of familial obligation. And then Jesus makes it clear to the man to follow him is to put him, to put Jesus first right now. These two disciples were not all in. And Jesus knew he needed to head to deeper water and separate himself and his disciples from these disciples. If you think about it, if the first man really wanted to go wherever Jesus went, all he would have had to do was get in a boat and follow him around. The second learned that there are deep costs, prices to pay to be a disciple. The only ones who left with Jesus were his disciples. Sometimes you got to retreat with Jesus when the world is pressuring you. Jesus used a boat to retreat from those unwavering pressures. And sometimes we use boats just to retreat. Recreational vehicles. I mean, I would put an RV out in the water, but you get the idea. Peaceful waters where you can just be alone with Jesus and your thoughts. Perhaps that's what the disciples thought was going to happen. But they were in for a time of testing of their faith. You see, the next thing after retreat is a faith check. Verse 25, there's 24, says, Without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. Excuse me? (laughs) Jesus was sleeping? I think maybe he was taking this whole R&R business to the next level, right? Jesus is napping while water is splashing in their boat. (laughs) It just seems comical, but it happened. Let's move on to verse 25. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the wind and waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Remember, these were his disciples. These were the guys that actually got in the boat and went with him. They went with Jesus. There were folks who didn't do that, though they seemed like they wanted to. These were his guys. And what did they do when riding in a boat with the sleeping Jesus? They feared for their lives. The wind, the waves, a storm. And it made me think, even when Jesus is in your boat, you might still be worried. You might still be worried if you'll make it through that storm okay. That you'll make it through the storm that you're in. You see, some Christians have had Jesus in their, in their lives, in their boat, for all of their lives. Maybe they don't remember a time when Jesus wasn't in their boat. Yet hard times come, and they worry and wonder, will I make it? 
Another thing I took from this is that Jesus, thank God, Jesus is not scared. He is not scared, even though we might be. He's not scared. There are two things about surviving storms with Jesus in your boat. One, you can reflect that you survived. You're still alive. Two, now that you've survived, you have evidence that you can survive storms in your future. So it gives you some perspective, thankfulness and perspective. We will go through times of turbulence. Jesus has the opportunity to prove himself during those times. And we have the opportunity to marvel in his awesomeness. Like the disciples, even the winds and the waves obeyed him, they said. The boat took him somewhere, right? Boats generally are a form of transport, not just recreation. It led them to do ministry on the other side of the lake, ministering to someone or some people who everyone else had just given up on. Sometimes you just got to get in the boat and go with Jesus in order to see him work in other people's lives. Well, the boat does take them to a shore where they meet a demon-possessed man, or in Matthew's account, two demon-possessed men. The story plays out very similarly. And Jesus frees them from their burdens, releases the demons out of them, and the job's done. He gets back in the boat, and it's time to move on. You see, our next stop on Jesus' boat is the way that he uses it as a type of teaching platform. Luke 5, 1 through 3. Luke 5, 1 through 3. It says this. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Now here, Jesus needed a little space. He needed room to teach. I mean, I don't know about you, but have you ever tried to give instruction to people who are just physically too close to you? I mean, it's difficult. Try it. Next time that you're on a crowded elevator, try to give life instructions to somebody right, right by you. I don't, they're just trying to get through the elevator. You will find yourself in an empty elevator very soon if you do that because uh, they will find an excuse to use the stairs. <laughs> now, some Bible scholars reason that Jesus wanted everyone to be able to hear and to see him. It's interesting thing about this passage is that we don't know what Jesus taught the people. Isn't that interesting? This is one of those opportunities where they could have gone on and given us this big teaching thing, but they skip entirely over it. They just say, he sat down and taught the people. And then the next verse, when he had finished, (laughs) he moves on to the next thing. The very next thing that Jesus does after he finishes teaching the people is to give fishing instructions to fishermen. How absurd is that? A carpenter, a teacher, teaching fishermen how to fish, giving them some advice, some pointers. Well, his advice is heeded. They trust in him enough to do that. And the amount of fish that they caught was so numerous, it was too numerous for one boat to manage. The boat that he was in 
was a platform, a space, a tool for teaching to happen. When the crowds, with the crowds and with the disciples, he used the boat as a platform for teaching, a tool. And maybe you don't actually have a boat. I don't have a boat. But the question that we have to ask ourselves today, what is the tool in our life that could be used by God in our own context? Maybe to travel to areas of ministry, to retreat away with Jesus, or maybe even be a platform for teaching to take place. Well, only you can answer that for yourself. As we have roads and clearly connected our cities, a motor vehicle will get us from point A to point B. Some churches in urban settings find bus ministry to be still very helpful. When a church won't fit all the people you want to reach, sometimes you've got to have a church in public parks. Those are two opportunities, a different platform, a different type of tool. Up until very recently, many folks had to rethink what regular ministry looks like. Why? The pandemic. So many people had to go because of the different varying levels of quarantine all across the world. More churches went online, did radio ministry, not only publishing their recordings, but streaming their service or Bible study, in fact, midweek Bible study on Zoom or Facebook. They can interact with those who are at home on their laptops or smart devices. What did our church do? Just to jog your memory, uh, our church had the mixed blessing of being small. (laughs) During the total state shutdown, churches and organizations that were not deemed essential were not allowed to meet in person. So what did we do during this time? Well, after we discovered it was going to be a little bit longer than a couple weeks, our leadership team decided to invest in some radio airtime at WVRQ, one of our local radio stations. We had about half an hour time slot for the message each week. People who could, get, who could not get online to listen or read the message there could join others on Sunday morning and study God's word. We did that for about two months. It was a leap of faith because, you know, radio airtime, even in a small town, is not cheap. Well, after the governor's order was overruled by the state Supreme Court, any business, including churches, could reopen but they had certain size restrictions. And I'm happy to say that many of our restrictions out of our community and state state have now dissipated. But without these constraints, without this adversity, churches like ours would have kept doing business as usual. No catalyst to push us further out or test our faith. The status quo rarely teaches us anything. So again, as we conclude today, and as we leave this place, think what God, what has God given you to use for his glory? In Peru, somebody had a vision for these boats, this boat ministry. It reminds me of the Jesus film and how people were sponsoring motorbikes with a little projector on the back and spreading that word all around the world. But these five boats Somebody had a vision and sacrificed for those boats to be built so people could get out on the water, away from distractions of life, get out onto the water, providing opportunities for faith in Jesus to be shown, and out on that water, 
to teach, to bring the good news. So the question I have for you and I today, what do you have? What has God put in your life, whether it's, and I always find, I was thinking about this, hobbies. What hobby do you have? It's, it's, it's got to be, it's got to have a bigger purpose than just keeping you entertained in your spare time. What hobby do you have that God can use as a platform for sharing the good news? What, what resources uh, uh, that could you use in order to help someone else know Jesus? What thing, we all know car repairs help us trust our faith in the Lord a lot. <laughs> Hello. Uh, what can provide an opportunity for the Lord to teach and test your faith? What good thing has God provided that you can use to share the good news? So we conclude, I want you to keep that in your mind today. Keep that in your mind and, uh, and do something about it this week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we bring all that we are to you today. We lay it down at your feet. That just as our brothers and sisters in South America have been sacrificing, have been changing the way they do ministry, have been figuring out these, these boats, this boat ministry that you've provided for we look at these passages through the New Testament, Jesus of you doing ministry in, in unconventional ways and involving boats. And we say thank you, and I pray that you would help us to learn something from that. What is it that we have in our heart and in our life that you've provided, put in our hands, that we can use to bless someone else, to help them know who you truly are? And perhaps we can't see all the pieces that align it up. But God, the one thing that we can pray for is make us willing to use those resources however you want. To hold them with loose hands, knowing that they're not ours to begin with. We love you, Jesus. Keep this in our mind this week and help us to do something about it. Encourage us. Poke and prod us to use what you've put in our hands to bless somebody else with your good news. In her name we pray, amen.